0: Please turn your Bible to the book of Ruth. I had the privilege about two years ago to preach back to back Mother's Day and Father's Day sermons from the story of Ruth and Boaz. And though today is not Mother in Law's Day, it is appropriate to look at the life of Naomi as we continue on in our Turning Point series to consider how God works his redeeming grace in the lives of his people. How do we respond to crisis? How do we come alongside other people in crisis? What does love and loyalty look like within family relationships? And how is our faith matured in trial? These are all lessons that are richly provided from this Old Testament narrative, and let us have ears to hear, as we gain insight into the Lord our God, who is a father, a husband, and the shepherd of his sheep. I will read from Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they might become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, Would you therefore wait till they had grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, If anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of God. Let us pray. O Father, once again, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In my growing up years it was our annual tradition in the summertime to receive a visit from my mother's sister, my aunt Janet, and her two children my cousins Brian and Mandy, and as well as our grandmother, who would travel down from Memphis, Tennessee, to Houston to spend a week with us, and from our home base there would go to the lake or the beach and have precious time together. Now, absent from my memories from my earliest years of age five or six was the presence of my uncle Mike. Mike and Janet divorced when he was found to be unfaithful and unrepentant. And so my Aunt Janet was left raising two young children, returning to the workforce as a teacher, and braved the trail that too many single moms must pursue in our culture today. Her path was a difficult one, one that many might call bitter, Her treatment by her ex, her financial difficulties, tempted others, especially my own mother, to bitterness. But my Aunt Janet refused to become embittered and refused to let her circumstances overwhelm her. Then it was my privilege, just not even three years ago, to officiate at her funeral. After a short bout with lung cancer, we lost my Aunt Janet, and it was a blessing to be there, a woman who had influenced many. Scores of people coming to her funeral and burial service, recounting the stories of her wonderful skills in cooking, gardening, and the most joyous, raucous, contagious laughter. Quite similar to our own Claire Wichterman, who went home to be with the Lord just six months ago. My aunt had a pleasantness about her that defied the circumstances of her life. And so it was natural for me to think of her as I reflected upon the story of Ruth and probed into the life of Naomi, a woman who suffered many bitter trials, whose name means pleasant, though pressed in by bitter matters of life and the heart. Naomi manages to preserve, manages to persevere, and maintain a pleasant and attractive aroma of grace as she chooses to focus on the good gifts of God, even in the midst of great hardship. She is a woman who proves to be a blessing to others trusting in the Lord her God, even when things were beyond, well beyond her control. When we're introduced to the family of Elimelech in chapter 1, they are on hard times, and yet the family is together. Due to the famine, the husband and father leads them to the land of Moab to find gain and provide for them. And there in that foreign land, Tragedy strikes with the death of Elimelech, leaving Naomi alone to raise her two sons. As they come of age, they marry non-Israelite, that is Moabite, women. And then after another decade, Naomi finds herself desolate. The emphasis in verse 5 doubly emphasizes her loss which in that culture being a widow without husband, without sons, left you very vulnerable without social safety nets or life insurance as we have in our day today. Naomi would have also been robbed of her identity and purpose as a wife and mother. And then to rub the salt into the wound a little more deeply and to recognize the fact that In that culture, there was a great prejudice against women in general and the presumption of women's guilt regarding death. Dating back even to Eve in the garden, you find this presumption that that death is the fault of women. And you see this in the story of the widow of Nain when Jesus comes to minister to a woman in great affliction. Naomi would have been considered by most as cursed. Everything that Naomi had hoped for, everything that she had depended on, were taken from her. Years ago in Houston, a young wife and mother received a call from her husband who he returned to the airport from a business trip out of town. And because of the lateness of the hour, he recommended that he get a taxi to bring him home. But the children were not yet in bed, and they were excited to see their father, and the wife insisted that she come pick him up from the airport. And so she loaded up the children already in their pajamas, and they trekked on down to the airport and enjoy a sweet reunion there at the passenger pickup section on the highway home. A truck driver, who was driving under the influence, veered too far in his lane, and as he overcompensated, the weight in his trailer shifted, causing the trailer to topple over and crush the vehicle of this family. In this great disaster, most tragic of all, perhaps, is the fact that the only survivor was the wife and mother leaving her husband and children perishing in the crash. It was observed by one bystander after the wreckage who overheard the young woman say, my life is over. Our hearts go out to people who suffer such grave afflictions that most of us thankfully, only experience in our worst nightmares. We can also especially sympathize in her situation, recognizing that she would be tempted to regret, asking, what if I had let my husband bring a taxi home? What if I called a sitter to watch the children? What if that driver had been more responsible. The what-ifs pile on, and our minds and hearts ad infinitum, wearing away on our burdened consciences. Like Naomi, this unnamed woman probably questions, am I under God's curse? Is God out to get me? When we suffer afflictions of many kinds, it is only natural in our fallen condition, to be consumed with these fears and questions. So where do we go? How do we climb out of that descending spiral of regret and doubt and fear? Well, in our text, verse 6 offers that first ray of hope. Well, we see in this story in response to these great crises that rather than remain paralyzed by regret... Naomi chooses to respond to the reprovision of God. It says that then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Israel thought God had abandoned them until he comes to their aid. While Naomi is off in a far country, she is not beyond the reach of God who gets her the message that it's time to return home. And though she has suffered greatly, she chooses to return to the one who has afflicted her. The dialogue between these three women is most revealing. Some of the richest language, I think, in all of Scripture As they set out on their journey to Bethlehem, Naomi urges the two young daughters-in-law to remain behind. Notice that Naomi does not demand of them. She does not manipulate them to provide for her. She actually seeks their best interest. She is not so self-consumed in her pain that she is blinded to the needs of others. And Naomi has not given up on the Lord her God twice in verses 8 and 9 she blesses her daughters-in-law in the divine covenant name Yahweh may the Lord deal kindly with you and even pray specifically that the Lord would grant them rest in the home of another husband the affection between these women is strong they kiss they weep and yet the daughters-in-law though urged continue to insist to go with her next Naomi Appeals to reason. And to these young women's own self-interest, she asks, why would you go with me? Naomi is a realist. She is beyond the age of that culture to marry again. She has little or no expectation of having any more children, certainly not sons that would grow up to become husbands for these women. Naomi is like Shel Silverstein's giving truth having already given apples and branches and wood with nothing left to give. The language even suggests from Naomi's mouth that she is under a curse. Why would these women want to attach themselves to her? It's better for them to go home. And so the first Orpah concedes, takes her mother's advice and says goodbye. And she turns back, like the many companions of Christian in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, who turn away because the road is perilous. But to Naomi's pleasant surprise, God is at work. And through her daughter-in-law, expresses a love, a loyalty, and a faithfulness that transcends all human experience and expectation. It says that Ruth clung to her as though the hand of God were reaching down to Naomi to uphold her, to reassure her, to remind her that she will not go back alone. From the vantage point of worldly eyes, Naomi was cursed. But with the spiritual eyes given to Ruth, Naomi is seen as a blessing. You see, Ruth had observed how Naomi had responded to her trials She weighed in the balance the pros and cons of staying and going. Would she stay behind with her own people who worshipped false gods? She might have better prospects of a husband and material gain, but what then? What prospects would she have in the life to come? And yet, go back with Naomi, with perhaps little prospects of material gain in this life yet great eternal hope in the inheritance to come. Ruth saw something attractive in Naomi as she saw the radiant glow of the Lord her God that shined amidst the darkness of her own people's empty way of life. Naomi did not curse God and die like Job's wife. And Ruth committed herself to her mother-in-law, and she would not look back like Lot's wife, but rather press forward in faith. Now, as the women approach the city of Bethlehem, they encounter a whole new challenge. We can only imagine the difficulty for Naomi to face her own townspeople. How would she recount to them the tragic events that she has suffered under a frowning providence? Would she lightly dismiss them? Would she tell people to mind their own business? She might be tempted to indulge in the attention she received in sucking in the the pity to fill her own empty heart. I would imagine that Naomi thought long and hard and perhaps rehearsed her response to her own kinspeople. When the townspeople ask, when the women ask, is this Naomi? It's showing us that contrast. The pleasant woman they remembered has now returned. And Naomi, in response, changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. But as we analyze the short speech given by Naomi... We do not find, I think, bitterness nor self-pity. It's very Job-like in the way she speaks. She assumes that the people already know the details of her situation. And she is very clear that the Almighty has dealt bitterly with her. It's not so much an accusation of God as a recognition of God's work in her life, that he is sovereign and good. She says, the Lord took me away. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Even though she was empty and had lost everything, she still had the Lord her God. And even when she says that the Lord has testified against me and brought this calamity upon me, it, it has a judicial tone. Much like Job bringing his case to God, I don't understand why these trials are happening. But I will not curse you. I will not turn on you. I will trust you even though you slay me. My hope is in you. Because I can appeal to no other. The Supreme Court this week essentially resolved the health care debate by upholding the Affordable Health Care Act and most of its essentials. And there's no more appeal left. Likewise, Naomi has no one else to appeal to other than God. The false gods out there cannot help her. They cannot overrule the Almighty. She cannot look to fate or chance or circumstance or anything else people falsely trust in to improve their circumstances. And yet for those of us who truly believe in a sovereign and good God, we have hope. Even when we are being crushed by our circumstances all around us. There are those who would insist that God has nothing to do with our trials, that they simply come from Satan or from this fallen world. But if we learn anything from the story of Job, we know that Satan is God's Satan. He is on a leash and can only go so far. The Lord is sovereign and involved in this broken, fallen world. And the Lord is concerned about all matters great and small. And in the end, he will vindicate the righteous and do, will not the Almighty do what is just and right. And so with that hope, Naomi would not abandon the Lord, her God. She would not seek after false gods. She would not bargain with them. She would not seek a better deal, but entrust herself to him, in the midst of these painful and confusing times, and submit to the Lord like Isaac before his father Abraham on the altar. Now, before we move on in our narrative, I want to apply something here that I think we need to consider. Imagine yourself one of those townspeople in Bethlehem. So perhaps it's not you suffering the affliction, but You're part of that community. How do you respond to Naomi? What do you say to somebody who has lost everything? It could be a family member, a neighbor, someone who serves alongside you here in the church. Do you feel uncomfortable? Do you change the subject? Do you avoid that person? Do you offer some bland Christian slogan that offers little comfort or only weakly promise to pray for them? I think a better approach might be to look that person in the eye. Have your heart move in compassion towards them as you enter into their hardship and pain. Take them by the hand and say something like, You're right, Naomi. The Lord has dealt bitterly with you. You have suffered much at the Lord's hand. Even still, I encourage you to hold fast to him. I'm convinced that he is still good and faithful, even in the midst of your painful losses. And I will pray for you to guard against the temptation to bitterness, self-pity, And I will follow up with you to see how you're doing, how I might encourage you, and perhaps I can even learn something from you as you go through this trial with God. You see, Naomi brings a real test to the body of believers. Will we offer support or will we waste an opportunity to love somebody and learn from their trial? Will we be bold enough to enter into someone's hurting world, to ask hard questions, to listen to difficult things? what we see into someone's personal pain with the compassionate eyes of our Savior, the God who raises the dead and ministers and cares for widows and orphans? God saw and heard Hagar's plight and her cry to him, as we heard last week. God, through Elijah, ministered to the widow of Zarephath, providing enough oil and flour to persevere through the famine. Even when her son was died and she was stricken with guilt, reminded of her own sin, Elijah comforted her and raised the son back to life. Elisha enabled a widow to have enough oil to pay her debts. Jesus, when he approaches that widow of Nain, leading the funeral procession of her dead son, Jesus looks at her, touches her, speaks words of comfort to her, and raises her son back. To the Samaritan woman at the well who was always seeking a better husband, Jesus entered into her world and appointed her to the one who would be her husband and faithful forever. God did not provide Naomi another husband, but he was a husband to her. And we see this narrative unravel beautifully as we go into chapters 2 and 3, the, one of the most remarkable romance stories ever. If only we had more time to delve into its depths, uh, we would profit much. But let us just glean on the surface some of the things that God would have for us in our remaining time. When we come to chapter 2, we're introduced to Boaz, who is a relative of Naomi and a worthy man. We see in the next verse that Ruth does not waste any time, but is very active to provide for herself and Naomi, food to eat. Now, it was custom in that day in Israel for farmers when going through the harvest to leave behind some of the crop to provide for the poor. And these were not handouts. The poor were expected to work in a process called gleaning. Now, Ruth, it says, just happened to be in Boaz's field. And we can tell by the language that the way Boaz greets his field workers and the way they respect him, that he is a man who fears the Lord. Boaz takes notice of Ruth. He inquires about her. He speaks to her and invites her to his table. And he pronounces a blessing on her in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done for your mother-in-law, Naomi, and a full reward be given to you by the lord the god of israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge ruth goes home later naomi sees his great quantity of food she rejoices and praises god offering a blessing may he be blessed the man who provided these things may he be blessed by the lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead And Naomi points out to Ruth that Boaz is one of their kinsmen redeemers, a close relative. And in that custom, when a man died, not leaving behind an heir, that in order to pass on his name in Israel, a brother or close relative would marry the widow, to raise up offspring, to pass on the name. In chapter 3, Naomi counsels Ruth, on how to take appropriate initiative in such a situation as this. Naomi was wise. She knew that the time was ripe, and not just for harvest. She instructs Ruth to wash, to anoint herself, to cover herself in a beautiful cloak, to go to Boaz at the right time in the right place. Ruth is a humble, teachable woman who takes her mother-in-law's counsel, who obeys... Who heeds counsel and approaches her potential husband to take initiative. And in her response to Boaz's question, you find an echo, an echo of what Boaz had said to her in chapter 2 when she says, Spread your wings, the corners of your garment, over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth is basically initiating a marriage proposal. Now, we have to think about how this was a risky thing for Ruth to do. She risked the pain of rejection, public humiliation. She risked being taken advantage of either by Boaz or his other workers, although not likely with a man like Boaz. Perhaps she would offend him or hurt his pride and damage her prospects. But Ruth is like Abigail. The wise and gracious woman who approaches David to diminish his wrath, to lead him with the way of wisdom to consider his actions before taking needless revenge. Ruth is bold, but not demanding. She is appropriate without being overreaching. She obeys with faith, leaving the results to God. There was a girl in college who was a bit aggressive with me, and I had to resist her on a couple of different occasions. And then I met another young lady who was bold and initiated our relationship. I married that girl. There isn't a time and a place that it is appropriate. And if you were in my summer Sunday school class on marriage, you would have heard the entire story. But I will not share that with you today. How will Boaz respond to Ruth's initiative? Will he be uncomfortable, embarrassed? Will he make excuses? Will he respond to anger? Well, contrary to all of these unhealthy reactions, the man is delighted, even flattered. He says to Ruth, may you be blessed by the Lord. And he sees her act as a kindness. He's impressed that she has not gone after younger men. And he assures her, saying, do not fear. And even as he commits himself to her, he has to stop himself short. Because as a man of integrity, he recognizes that he's not first in line. There's another relative closer than he. When I was candidating for this assistant pastor position, nine years ago now, Pastor Rogers called me to set up a phone interview with the search committee, but at the time, I was a finalist candidate at a church in Houston. And I actually rather sadly had to tell Pastor Rogers, I can't do that interview because I'm already obligated as a finalist at another church. Well, that very either that very night or the very next day, the senior pastor of the church in Houston called me. And he said, Tucker, even though we've already purchased your plane ticket for your final interview, our session has concluded that financially we cannot hire you. And so he gave me the freedom to back away from that situation. And by God's grace, was able to interview here at Westminster. I was grateful for that pastor's integrity to be faithful And to not lead me on, but to fall through on what was right and good. Boaz pledges himself to redeem Ruth. And God offers her wise counsel to wait till the morning hours before she leaves under cover of darkness. So there will not be any appearance of evil in their time together. I come now to read chapter 4. Our final passage, verses 13 through 17. and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, his son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. How true were the words of these women of Bethlehem who saw Naomi go away full and return empty, now blessed by the Lord who had not left her without a Redeemer. Ladies and gentlemen, regardless of your circumstances and your losses, God has not left you without a Redeemer. And not only does God provide for Naomi through Ruth's new husband and by blessing them with the family name continuing on through their offspring, but there's something special and peculiar about this offspring. And this offspring comes from a glorious and beautiful lineage. Those of you who study the scripture may have already recognized this, that in a way it's a beautiful redemptive picture of how it is that Boaz comes to be wed to Ruth. Why was it that this man set his affections upon her? What attracted her to him? Well, it was in his blood. To have his heart set on a woman of foreign nationality and bold demeanor. His own father had done the same. Boaz's father was Salmon, who had married Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho. Boaz knew something about grace and the transformation of someone switching allegiances away from a pagan people to the covenant God of Israel. And so this is a match made in heaven. It was glorious in this story as we read in Matthew chapter 1, as we understand the redemptive purposes of God, we see this glorious legacy of Rahab and Ruth, women of non-Israelite blood, And yet, in their boldness and faithfulness, are privileged to be the ancestors, not only of King David, Israel's deliverer, but the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Savior of the world. Friends, we we never can explain why God brings trials and hardships into our lives. But if you are in Christ... You can trust and know that your Redeemer lives and God will not leave you without a Redeemer. God does not always provide a husband, a wife, a child, the ideal job, the dream home, or whatever it is your heart desires, as good as those things may be. But as in Naomi's case, though so God did not provide her a husband. He was a husband to her. And God will always be faithful because He has provided us more than these. Even as the women bless Naomi, telling her that her daughter in law, Ruth, is better to her than seven sons. Likewise, we see in Boaz, we see in Ruth, a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is much better than all these things. As Scripture says, if God did not spare his one and only Son, how much more will he not spare every good and perfect gift for your good and your perfection in Christ? Jesus is our ultimate husband when we're disappointed with our earthly spouses, when we're disappointed with life circumstances, we know that we have a Redeemer. And when we call out to God, as it says in Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in this day of trouble, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. We have instruction from Scripture of how to hold fast, to cling fast to the promises of God that are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are pledged to him. We will be wed to him forever. And may we persevere with great hope as we anticipate the great wedding feast of the Lamb, when we will enjoy the Lord our God forever and ever. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Father. We praise you that you are a great redeemer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a savior and a husband to your people, that you provide all of our needs. Help us to trust in you, to find our rest in you. May we delight ourselves in the Lord our God from this day forward and throughout all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.